Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. So, normally I do start off with a question, but to be quite honest, I couldn't really think of one that relates to this subject matter, so I would just like to say that if you have felt this way or can relate to anything in this video, just know that you're not alone. Having said that, I would like to give a trigger warning. I will be discussing depression, self-harm, suicide, suicidal ideation, and stuff to do with that. So if that's not something that you can handle, I would not be offended. Skip this episode and all of that. So that being said, I will begin. Normally I do have some notes for my podcasts, but I wanted this to be completely authentic and the most wholeheartedly genuine, to the point, from my heart podcast. I think this is one of my most important ones to get out there. And I'm just telling it as it is and whatever comes to mind, I guess, my, my story from my heart. So with that, I guess I'll start off with where this kind of stems from. So I have major depressive disorder. Major depressive disorder is clinical depression and it is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest. That's the definition. I will tell you guys how I got the diagnosis. It is diagnosed and how I've kind of dealt with, dealt with that throughout my life. Um, so when I was 12 years old, I think that's when this all sort of began. I find it very interesting. I was reading some literature and it was saying that a huge percentage of people started developing uh, depression and like isolating feelings and feelings of questioning your own self-worth, etc. Because if you look back to 2012, this is when social media was really on the rise. This is when Instagram was introduced around that time. And especially the youth at the time, such as myself and a lot of you who may be watching, with the introduction of social media, you start to compare yourself and nitpick things, etc. And can really cost one's mental health. And you start to question your identity, question your looks, question yourself. I think at the time for me, and a lot of people my age, that's when a lot of insecurities started to come on in. And as of course, that's when puberty was going on for me as well. Puberty causes insecurities for teenagers in general. And when you have social media in the mix, constantly comparing your growth and your looks to other people, and that can cause to a decline of mental health. When I was 12 years old, that's kind of when the onset of my depression began. And I don't have a key point of time that, or like a certain thing that started this that I can kind of pinpoint to. 
However, I just think it was kind of a mix of a lot of things and potentially just the fact that I'm more susceptible to depression because it runs in my family on my dad's side. And then I just remember that I was just feeling sad all the time and lack of motivation, lack of interest in doing things and all of that. So I somehow ended up on an Instagram hole, like a rabbit hole on Instagram of, imagine like Tumblr, but on Instagram, like all the depression stuff and pictures of people self-harming and all of that, um, really dark stuff and really, really sad. I think at some point in our middle school education, I don't know how it was brought up, maybe in some sort of subject or an assembly, I don't recall, but something about self-harm got brought up and for people to seek help with it and everything, and I honestly hadn't heard of it before. And so I guess I was kind of introduced to the idea in a way that they were trying to help students not do it, but it actually taught me what it was and how to do it. And that's in itself very complex. And so I started to self-harm when I was 12 years old and it would be with a razor blade and I wouldn't do it on my arms because I didn't want other people to see, but I would do it on my thigh. I did know of other students that were doing it as well, mostly girls. However, I don't think most people knew. Um, only my best friend at the time and I kept it a secret for several years. So having this kind of community on Instagram was very interesting and I ended up speaking to a girl, I have no idea who she is. She was, I think she was from California, but she was posting about her eating disorder and her self-harm and her kind of progress or trying to wean off of it. And I remember that we would kind of keep each other accountable. So I knew that it wasn't good to self-harm, but it was kind of just that feeling of like, you feel so numb to your feelings that you just needed to kind of feel something. And so I remember that I was like, okay, I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna stop this and find other ways of coping with needing to feel something. It kind of helped to give me motivation to stop because we'd hold each other accountable, kind of be like, oh, I'm X days clean or whatever. I remember I sent her a video of me like, I think I flushed the thing in the toilet or put it in the garbage can. I don't know, I remember doing that. And then one night, I'll never forget this. This, to this day, sticks out to me, this memory. I had sent her a message and I said, hey, hope you're having a good night. Hope all is well with you, something like that. I got a message shortly after and she says, I can't thank you enough for sending me that message because I actually was about to end my life. And I have to say that message saved my life because I felt that no one else cared about me. I was shocked. I was like, whew. 
I was 12 years old and I just felt like, wow, like I just saved someone's life by literally just saying, I hope everything's going well with you. And that, to this day, I still recall that and how, I don't even know if there's a right word for that, just how impactful it has been. Like really put things into perspective for me that you don't know what people are going through. Although I knew she was dealing with mental health struggles and an eating disorder, I never knew that I could have that impact on someone. It was very interesting. And I'm never gonna forget that. Aside from all that, I eventually stopped self-harming because I realized that very self-destructive behavior and that there were other ways of coping with my feelings and I ended up drawing. So I don't even know where this idea came from. I think I just decided I needed to get out that motion in a different way and I started drawing instead of self-harming, which was a really great thing to do instead. There were times in my life where after that I did relapse but I think instead of doing the cutting, I was scratching myself with my nails. I would scratch myself severely because at least it wouldn't bleed as much. And yeah, eventually I stopped the scratching, stopped the cutting, and was able to quit that. That kind of lasted from when I was like 12 to like 13, maybe into 14. I don't remember exactly. But when I was 14, I was in a pretty bad car accident, which I'll do a whole podcast on that. It's going to be the next one, actually. And that was very traumatic in itself. almost lost my life. And as well, when I was 14, my stepbrother had passed away, so a lot happened. Also, it's when I just began high school. So that year in itself was very... a lot went on in that year. And then when I was 15 years old, something happened to me, which I'm gonna have a whole separate episode on, which changed my life in quite literally changed the path of my life and I'm not gonna say exactly what it is because it's something that needs to have its own episode and needs to kind of be explained in a specific way because it is a very touchy subject. I'm gonna give that one its own separate episode. It's going to be a very long one. <laughs> but I need to give it the attention that it deserves. So I won't get into that right now, but something very incredibly, incredibly traumatic happened to me when I was 15 years old. And so right about before I turned 16. That changed my life to this day. At that point from almost 16 years old, but 15 years old to 17, about 17, I was on an incredibly self-destructive path I was involved in a lot of things, which will have their own episodes as well, but I quite literally was self-sabotaging and became addicted to self-sabotage because I didn't want to be here anymore. And it is tough to say that because it's really sad to reflect on, but 
at the end of the day I'm here to share my story and be as authentic as possible. There's no hiding anything and I feel that a lot of people can relate. So yeah, at 16 years old, I didn't want to be here anymore. I had a lot of suicidal ideation. I was dealing with panic attacks, with anxiety, and a lot, a lot all at once from, from this thing that had happened. And there was just a mix of so much stuff all at once. I'll get into all of that, but I wasn't planning to actively kill myself. I wasn't planning to do that, but I ended up in this pattern of behaviors where I just didn't care. And for example, I wouldn't look before I crossed, I wouldn't look properly. I would kind of just cross and I stopped wearing my seatbelt, didn't care, thought if something happens. I survived the one car accident because I had the seatbelt on, but I knew what would happen if I hadn't had the seatbelt on. And so I knew that'd be, I didn't want to do it myself, but if something was going to happen, then that was a way to go, which is very sad to look back on and to actually express out loud. I want you all to know that by saying all this, I'm okay. And I am at a place in my life now where I actually, of course, want to be here. I have found purpose. I have found hope. And I don't want anyone to worry about me by me putting out these things. I'm actually at a very good place in my life, thank God. But it hasn't always been rainbows and butterflies, I'll tell you that. I'm not gonna sit here and lie and tell you that my journey has been easy because it hasn't been. It's been me crawling through the trenches of life for many years. But at the end of the day, this is my story and it's very liberating for me to get it out. All of that being said, eventually I got to a place in my life where I was dealing with depression for all these years, but I kind of stopped that self-sabotage behavior. Of course, when I was 18 years old, I started university. That was a good purpose. That was a good goal to work towards and I had responsibilities and I was becoming an adult. But throughout all the years up until, I mean, to be honest, like I have diagnosed clinical depression. I'm always going to have depression, but it's just about finding ways to cope and healthy ways of dealing with the feelings that come with it. I did have the option to go on to antidepressants. It was an option for me, but I will add when I was 16 with all that going on, I was put on birth control pills and that led to even more depression. I have my own experience with like a whole other story with hormonal contraception, but it led to a lot of my mental health struggles as well. So just a catastrophe after catastrophe, just so much piled up on top of each other. When I say 16 year old Nicole was struggling, she was struggling. She had way too much on her plate and 
no wonder I didn't want to be there because there was just a lot going on there. So I think my story is a little bit all over the place. Let me <laughs> get back on the track. I was able, I was given the option to go on antidepressants, but the reason how I got the diagnosis was in 2020, I had an appointment with a psychiatrist. It was on Zoom and it was kind of because everything was going on with my dad, how I had cut him out of my life. And that had caused a lot of trigger with my depression. So I seeked help and ended up talking to a psychiatrist. I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and he said, you have the option to go into antidepressants, but to be honest, if you're able to cope without it, if you're able to draw, if you're able to sing, if you're able to sew, if you're able to do anything, then do that. Like the side effects that come with antidepressants are not for the faint of heart. There are a lot of side effects. So he said, if you can avoid that, sounds like you're doing great. Go for that instead. But it's always an option. So I did have the option to go into antidepressants, but I never really wanted to dabble into that because I knew that I didn't feel comfortable having to depend on a pill to be happy. And I've had my own thing with substances and I'll have a whole story on that, but I knew that it just probably wasn't going to be the best choice for me and I wanted to do it full force on my own, figure out this I guess I have a little bit of a stubbornness to me too, so I <laughs> definitely just wanted to go head first, figure this out on my own. It was like, nope, no pills, no, none of that. Um, but I had, throughout the years, I have had some therapists and I could do a whole podcast on my <laughs> therapy experience because when I was 16, I got a therapist and she was hella racist <laughs> and very unhelpful. So <laughs> that was a horrible experience with my first therapist and that didn't help me at all. Um, eventually I also had, had another therapist who I spoke to with my mom to kind of deal with me and my mom's trials and tribulations and he sucked. So pff, that was a whole that was a whole thing. Right now I am in therapy and I have actually found a really good therapist. And unfortunately, it's not always the case that people are able to get therapy. It is incredibly expensive. I'm very privileged that I'm able to be on my mom's benefits as I'm still in school. So I'm incredibly grateful for that and would never take that for granted. It's actually really helped. And I think where my depression really stem stemmed from was that I obviously have a predisposition. The fact that it's in my bloodline is kind of a given, but as well with all the things that went on in my childhood, it's kind of a no-brainer that someone who has abandonment issues, would have codependency issues, and suffer with anxiety. My inner child has really 
been suffering throughout the years, finally I'm kind of diving into that and really transforming my life and that's part of what I'm documenting here and hoping that I can help other people. Growing up, I was pretty quiet about what I was going through mentally and it was kind of only like my best friend that knew and because she was going through a very similar experience. But I do remember when I was 16 years old, I did tell my dad, I, I was still in contact with him and we were talking on a video call once and I did tell him that I was dealing with depression. Unfortunately, I was given the cold shoulder, kind of had it brushed off, and that was like a knife in my heart. Really tough for me at 16 years old to have my own dad brush me off when I brought that up, and I think now, as an adult, I can kind of see why, because he himself has dealt with his stuff, and I feel like it was maybe he didn't know what to say, or he didn't know how to help. Maybe even he felt like he contributed to it. I don't know. I can't get in his head. Maybe I'll never know. We don't always have to have the answers, but I remember at the time, it was incredibly hurtful. It was like a betrayal almost, I will say. <laughs> and those are certain memories, like core points where I will always remember these little things that stuck in my head. I remember when I was 16 and I had all these things going on at once, I had my first panic attack. I was sitting on my floor and I was unable to breathe. I was like hyperventilating, crying, and I thought, oh my God, I'm gonna die. And I didn't know what to do. And I contemplated calling an ambulance. I was like, no, but that's traumatic. I can't call an ambulance, what am I doing? So I just kind of had to self-soothe and eventually it kind of went through the motion and it stopped, but I remember it was incredibly scary. As well, throughout all that time, I think the best way I can describe how I felt was that I was basically just going through the motions and I felt like so numb and just like, it's just very hard to describe. It's like, you don't really feel anything and you're kind of just there and you know that you're there and you know that you're doing things but you don't feel like you're doing them. I don't know if that really makes sense but I feel like if you felt that way you can kind of relate and I just feel like I literally was just going through the motions and trying to get through the day I had no motivation and there were a lot of days where I just was literally would just sleep it off because I didn't want to feel that way and I just didn't there was just numbness and I would sleep a lot I would kind of isolate myself and sometimes friends would want to do stuff and I'd just make an excuse because I literally just had no motivation to get up and that's kind of what that was like at the time. I was pretty social around 16 years old. I was doing a lot of stuff, which I'll do a whole thing on. A whole, a whole period of my life where I was basically living a double life, which involved a lot of self-destructive behaviors, as I mentioned. And it was all because I just 
didn't care. I didn't care about my life. I felt that I had no value. I felt that I had no purpose. But I think part of me, the reason why I didn't do anything to end my life was because I had some sort of tiny glimmer of hope. And I think also I could not bear to do that to my family. I didn't want to put them through pain. So I never wanted to do that. That's why I kind of just let it up in the air. If it happens, if, ha if it happens, it happens kind of mentality with the whole crossing the street and seatbelt thing. I kind of let it be like that sort of situation. But I had mentioned in my first episode that part of the reason why I started this project was because in 2022, my family friend had taken her life is now been one year and that was such a wake-up call for me like no other because I saw a lot of myself in her I witnessed a lot of patterns that I myself have partaken in with regards to self-destruction and stuff like that and so when all that happened, in 2022, I was in a interesting mindset. I was in my relationship, but it was ending. It's kind of a whole thing, and I'll get into that. But at that point, I couldn't even go to the functions. I was just, I felt that I had like a personal sort of tie to it of course I don't know if that sounds odd to like have a personal tie in that way but I just felt that I couldn't go to these functions because I'd see like that's what my family would be having to go through had I ended my life years before I couldn't bear to stand there because it felt way too personal for me it hit hard to home it was like I couldn't go to that seeing what I would have had put my family through had that been me. When all that happened, it was like such a perspective change for me and it changed my life moving forward. I realized that you don't know what people are going through and sometimes it's the people that you least expect it that would do something like that. I reevaluated the relationships in my life and how I spoke to people, how I treated people, when how much I would check in on people. I was there for my friends like no other way I've ever been for them because I knew that I felt like almost a little bit guilty that I wasn't as attentive as maybe I could have been and maybe I could have done something that it's bad to go down that mentality, right? But you feel like, oh, I wish I had known. Like, I wish I would have been there for this person because she actually was supposed to come live with us. That didn't end up happening, but I felt like so much hurt in my heart knowing that that could be in any other one of my peers, could be one of my friends, and I totally hadn't seen this coming. It was devastating. It was very devastating. And I completely 
change the way that I lived moving forward. I'm the type of friend that I will send you good morning every morning. I will tell you how much you mean to me on a regular basis. I will not hold back my feelings. I'm a very expressive person and the people in my inner circle, they know that I'm ride or die and I'm there for my friends in any way possible. Any way that I can help, I'm always there. And even for people that I'm not very close with, I always strive to be somebody that someone can come and talk to and be a safe space for people because I know what it's like to not have that and to feel alone. And having lived the experiences that I have lived, I hope I can offer some sort of insight or tips or advice or even just a shoulder to cry on because sometimes that's all we need someone to listen sometimes we don't always have that so if you are watching this just know if I can respond and if I can help of course I will and I want you to know that there are resources available I know they're probably not always something that you would gravitate towards because seems a little strange to reach out to a stranger or to call a helpline or something. I've never called a helpline, but I know that it has saved a lot of lives. So there are resources available. If not, it's really important to reach out when you need it. When I reflect back on the past, and you'll often hear me say the term 16-year-old Nicole, and it's because I feel so far removed from the type of person that I was back then. But obviously also I've grown up, I'm now 22, and that's an adult versus a child. But I feel a little bit bittersweet reflecting because I feel very bad for the way that I felt back then. I feel so sad that I had to go through certain things at that age, but I also respect the hell out of her for getting out of that mess and literally dragging myself out of a mess on my own while as well helping people along the way which is truly incredible I don't know how I did it sometimes I look back and I'm like what the heck was I doing I was really there for a lot of people and kind of put myself on the back burner but at the same time completely transformed my life in just a couple of years. It's not right to blame other people for your feelings because we're all responsible for our reactions to things and our triggers and all of that, but it's easy to say that as an adult, but when you're a child, I think a lot of the things around me, a lot of the systems, a lot of the teachers, adults in my life I think kind of failed me in a way because we'll get into all of that but I was really going through a lot and I was showing so many signs of a lot of problems but it wasn't being kind of addressed in the way that it should have been nowadays of course I'm not at that point in my life anymore and since seeking therapy and Acknowledging, first of all, that I had things to work on is the first step. I, for the first time, like actually acknowledged that I had abandonment issues, that I have an eating disorder, 
the first step was acknowledging them so that I could heal them and move forward from that. So for the past three months, I had first quit my job. I dropped on my courses that was making me miserable in university. I somehow finished that one course <laughs> and did it well, but I completely said, okay, I'm allocating. I'm going in, I am going to fix these things. And sometimes you just have to pump the brakes and kind of pump the brakes on life to get life back on track. Oh, I had a big push. I was going through a breakup about like three or four months ago. It was a very messy situation. We'll get into all that at some point, but I honestly wasn't gonna talk about all that. But I did promise myself going into the new year I was not going to protect the people that hurt me in my life anymore because I am such a people pleaser and I'm such a protective person and kind of make excuses for people's behaviors and that's kind of my that's kind of my default as a person. I'm a very loyal person to the point where I'll be loyal even after people have did me dirty. But none of that I'm actually looking forward to getting this all off my chest and this podcast is the way that I am opening up about all these things to of course strangers, friends, but also family and whoever can listen to it and relate in any way or somehow find the feeling that you're not alone I guess. Working in the medical office as an MOA, which is a medical office assistant, basically the receptionist, I saw how the systems work in British Columbia, Canada, or I should probably say how they don't work because in terms of mental health services, they suck and it really got me frustrated because not everyone has the ability to get mental health services are not accessible, not affordable, there's so many problems with it and I just got very frustrated seeing that because having been someone who needs help, I'm very lucky that I was able to get some help but when you can't, you can't afford it, it's not accessible. That's just like a slap in the face. By starting this project of just me opening up about my life and about the things I've experienced, I hope that I can help other people in any way and I'm just taking one for the team and healing publicly. I hope that I can inspire people to do the same and let people know that it is possible to find happiness. And I was going to explain that <laughs> how I am so happy today is that since being, let's just say, obliterated by a breakup, that was definitely the right push to get help and kind of be like, okay, enough is enough. I need to get this in check. I really have a lot of things that got triggered at that point. And I was not going to jump into another relationship actively knowing that I had things to work on because I think as an adult that's incredibly irresponsible. At the same time, it's... I was acting as like a savior for other people when I needed a lot of saving myself, I needed a lot of work on a lot of different things. 
And so I took the responsibility of going and getting that help and working on all these things because, as I mentioned, for me a big thing is ending generational trauma. So I made a pact with myself that I would work on all my things so that I don't pass that down to my future family. And I think in my life I lacked a feeling of purpose and I got my purpose from other people in my life and kind of went along with other people's plans for me, other people's perspective of what I should be doing and I kind of lost myself trying to fill that role. And there was, it's kind of obvious that I would only feel situational happiness as I call it where I'd be happy in certain moments, but then when I was by myself, I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel comfortable being alone. I didn't feel... Obviously, I needed my Nicole time. I loved to clean my room and do my own little activities and hobbies and responsibilities, but I didn't feel comfortable being alone. I think I felt a lot of uncomfortability because it could probably tie to my feeling of that feeling of loneliness really was a problem with me because of my abandonment issues and I ended up in with having codependency issues and the only way for me to truly be happy was to be happy being alone and that's kind of what I've been working on in therapy and kind of even recognizing that on its own is was really transformative for me because that is how I was able to become happy now. I remember that back in December in 2022, I was picking myself off the floor after a lot of realizations about my life. And I just remember I was dancing in my kitchen one day and I just felt like, oh my God, there you are. like. Oh my god, there you are. I had a moment of realization. I was like, I feel shiny. Like, I feel sparkly. I feel so happy for the first time in 10 years. I was like, hallelujah. There you are, you're back. Like, you're back to feeling that sense of self. It was an incredible feeling. I'm always going to remember that. Of course I have my days. I'm not going to sugarcoat things and say this has been a walk in the park. It has not. But the only way I kind of could get to this point was to just be so fed up. And anger is an important part of grief. I just had to get so angry with feeling so upset with this, my situation where I just had to get so fed up feeling this way and I said enough is enough. I don't, don't want to feel this way anymore. I want to get this in check and I, I don't want to feel like this for the rest of my life. I don't want this to consume me and I will not lie, my healing journey has been very, very difficult. It's not easy to do what I'm doing, but I know it is so worth it and the benefits I'm already seeing have outweighed all the costs. and. I'm healing out in the open, taking one for the team, so that hopefully I can inspire other people and all of that.
I've learned in life that you have to actually really want to change to have that change happen and put the wheels in motion. And I was just so fed up. I was just so tired of being down and lacking motivation and lacking purpose and trying to find my purpose in external factors, in external factors such as people, things, situations. And I was like, the only way I'm going to be happy in life is if I put in the work and if I find that happiness within myself, if I find that happiness alone, if I can find that happiness that isn't dependent on other things or other people. That's kind of what I've been doing and it's been incredible. But I'm not going to say I have a good day every day. I don't always have a smile on my face. That's unrealistic. Of course, I, I cry regularly. Crying is good for your eyes. <laughs> it's an important part of being a human being. No, I'm not perfect. No, I'm not going to sit here and act like I have it all together all the time because I'm imperfect. I'm a human. I make mistakes myself. Maybe I'll still do this once in a while self-sabotage of whatever, doing something that's out of my habits. I might mess up my sleep schedule. I might eat really bad for a while. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to act like I'm perfect because I'm not. And that's not what, that's not the point of healing. That's not the point of growth. It's not to be perfect, but it, it is important to reach a point where you can be happy and you can find peace and you can let go of the resentment, the anger, all of that. That was all part of the process, and I'd love to share that all with you. I'm going to continue to. I'm going to continue my storytelling of my life, and I think this episode was a little bit all over the place, and <laughs> I don't know. I didn't write anything down for it because I kind of just wanted to be very authentic and very from the heart, but I hope that whatever I said, if you can take anything with it, That'd be great. If not, thanks for listening. And I'm trying to think if I have anything else to say about this topic. Um, one last thing I was going to say, working in the medical field, I, I was the one billing the prescriptions. So I saw how many people truly are on antidepressants from a sample size of, I think, roughly 9,000 patients in the system. I'd say about 30%, roughly, just my own observation, were on either anti-anxiety medication or antidepressants. So if you think that you're the only one who's dealing with this, trust me, you're not. It's more common than a lot of people think. And that's why I think there just needs to be so much done with in terms to the systems because unfortunately so it is a big collective experience. Obviously there is more and more conversation going on about mental health and awareness on that. A lot of us know people personally who struggle with mental health issues or know someone personally who has committed suicide and we may have personal stories that tie to these topics, but it's interesting because like we think we're alone when we're when we're feeling depressed. We think 
we're the we we isolate ourselves first of all we feel alone we feel nothing we feel too much it's just a whole ass situation but the thing that i noticed is that a lot of doctors are just quick to give you a pill they'll say oh you're depressed okay here's your pill there's a lot of problems with that because a lot of things can be done you can find happiness by not having to take an antidepressant and it's not easy as i said i'm not gonna front i'm not gonna sugarcoat things it's been very difficult to take that path it's been very it really tested my my limits as a human being being able to do that but to be able to sit here and say i put in that work i went to those appointments i did that all on my own i found ways that worked that's something that I'm proud of for myself. And if you are doing that too, give yourself a big hug, give yourself a pat on the back, cut yourself some slack when you don't feel like you're being your best or you're not doing it right, because there is no right. There's no manual for this. There's no manual of life. There's no manual for how to be happy. Cut yourself some slack and tell yourself Go in the mirror, tell yourself good affirmations of self-love and how proud you are of yourself because that is something to be proud of. That is crazy that we can sit here and work on ourselves. Like, that's nuts. Good on you. Nobody's perfect and we all make mistakes. We all have our days. We're probably going to yell at people. We're probably going to lose our temper. We're probably going to lose our cool. That's just a part of being a human being. But it is your responsibility as an adult to work on your stuff and to not project onto other people. So to sum things up, I will just say that having dealt with depression for a decade, 10 years, age 12 to 22, I would just say that although some days there seemed that there was no purpose, no hope, no light at the end of the tunnel, I can say that, yes, right now we're living a very tumultuous time where it is hard to be happy, but what has given me purpose in life has been the little things, little things that give me happiness, and setting goals really helps with motivation, and if you just strive to be 1% better every day, that's a step in the right direction and don't beat yourself up. Some days I didn't even want to make my bed. Some days I couldn't get out of the bed. Some days my hygiene was not the best and then you just start with baby steps where you day one, get out of the bed. Day two, get out of the bed, take a shower. Day three, get out of the bed, take a shower and make the bed. And it's little things like that that will help you get on the right track. And before you know it, you'll be out of your bed doing cartwheels. Just kidding, but possibly. As I mentioned, I think just for a lot of us, we are kind of sick and tired of feeling a certain way and take that feeling of sick and tired and fed up and let that be your motivation to make those baby steps and cut yourself slack. Don't be too hard on yourself. Give yourself grace, give yourself time to feel your feelings and don't feel that you have to rush things. Don't feel that 
you need to do things the way that I've done them. Nobody is, there's no one fit, one size fits all for this and whatever works for you, works for you. There's no manual, as I said, there's no point in comparing yourself to other people because everyone's journey is different. So with all that being said, I'm very glad that you're here. I'm glad I'm here. I didn't think I'd make it out, those feelings, but we're here, we're breathing, and we're thriving. And as a human collective, I think we can all be a little kinder to each other and be there for one another, get back to that sense of community that seems to be lacking a lot in the modern time. I think it's important to really assess the way that we speak to each other, the way we treat each other, and be very intentional with our decisions and the way we walk throughout our lives. You don't know if something you say to someone is going to be their last straw. So just keep that in mind and try and form a sense of community with those around you and be kind to everyone. I think that's all I've got to say. So of course, be strong, be brave. I love you. I'll catch you later.